The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there. Welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. Today's guest is coming from north of the border in Canada. That would be, of course, Rob Silver. Thanks for taking the time, Rob. You know, I want to just lace into like expletive, 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 just start swearing. <laughs> the last thing Nick said before we, we started recording was, Rob, the one thing you can't do is swear because on my podcast, I, I swear a fair bit. So I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to make, keep this uh, PG, P, at least PG-13. Well, I appreciate that. I am G-rated Nick Pollock, of course, that Chris at Baseball Pods <laughs> called me and I will adhere to as much as I can. But uh, I really should have like a sensor sound. You sure. know, that is just me saying, hey, stop that. You know, something like that. I don't know. I'll figure it uh, you out. know, it's it's funny. I have I have a 10 year old son and my 10 year old son uh, abhors swearing like he is. Really? He is uh, the ultimate police officer. And <laughs> on, on, we were driving up to, to my cottage uh, last Friday and he talked about how there's a bunch of kids in his, his grade five class who swear a lot. And I, Mr. Uh, Potty Mouth, uh, explained to him that people who swear it's because they have bad vocabulary. Uh, right. If you have a good vocabulary, you really shouldn't have to resort to naughty words. It's laziness more than anything. That's uh, swearing it doesn't make you a bad person, uh, but it's lazy. And uh, little does he know uh, that I am the laziest <laughs> person he knows. Well, well th- this is what I tell the staff often. They want to put some, uh, I don't, I, I want to say off color joke or something like that into an article and say, you don't need to do that. You don't need to make that joke that I'm sure other people have thought of. And, uh, you know, we don't need to resort to that. We are more creative exactly. than having to, uh, to, to make a Harrison Bader joke that you know, should never be said <laughs> again. Uh, but um, but I really do appreciate you coming on this. And for everyone that doesn't know who you are, Rob, just tell us about your resume and what you do. Uh, in real life, I'm a uh, recovering lawyer uh, here in Canada. And by that, <laughs> I mean, I used to be a practicing lawyer. I was a, a corporate M&A uh, lawyer for, for the start of my career. Uh, then I left the law, started a um, public affairs uh, firm and had a, a really good uh, public affairs firm. For those who have no idea what that means, a public affairs firm, uh, I think the the more American version of it is, is I, I ran a big lobbying firm uh, here in Canada. And then in 2015, my wife uh, was running a political campaign for a man named Justin Trudeau, and she won the campaign. And he named her chief of staff in uh, November 2015, which meant I had to sell my lobbying firm. Uh, and uh, now I am no, not longer a lobbyist. And uh, <laughs> so I work, uh, I, I was unemployed for a long time, taking care of our son, uh, trying not to teach him any, uh, any potty words uh, during those first uh, formative uh, years. And and now I work uh, for a big financial uh, firm here in Canada. So that's, you know, that's, the, that's the professional side of the resume. It, it is kind of hilarious how I, I remember being a kid and of course I knew all the bad words and I wanted to say the bad words all the time. And my parents also knew the bad words and wanted to say them all the time. And out of respect, I think I didn't curse in front of them. They didn't curse in front of me. It was kind of this game of chicken of, of who is going to mess up first. Uh, we all make this effort and there's actually there was a family I grew up with uh, one of my closest friends they were twins and they uh, they always cursed in that family all the time because they understood 
as long as you're not cursing at someone like aggressively at another person it's okay it's just a word you're giving it power by by silencing it and i think that's the way to go ultimately i don't want to curse <laughs> but if you need to as long as it's not at someone it's not such a yeah. bad thing uh i i am not offended by uh by any of these well that's not true there are words that truly do offend me uh uh I don't use the C word, for example, sure. women ever, ever, ever. That's uh, it's not me being woke. It's it's a truly offensive uh, right. word. And, there and are, so there are words that even though they're words, I would never use ever. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's a difference between just kind of swearing, um, you know, offhandly. And then there's words that have a, a storied history of just why those words aren't spoken. They should stay that way. Mm-hmm. Um, big difference there. Abs- I cannot agree more about that. But uh, but yeah, that 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 game. Um, I, I wonder when the age will be when finally your son starts uh, starts swearing to some degree, if ever. Uh, and it'll be interesting how he changes. I and part of me will, of course, be very proud when he starts just letting her rip. <laughs> part of me though is very proud that he's the kid who uh, uh, has enough self control and self awareness sure. that he's uh, he's not doing it. So we'll. And it's also we'll out see. of respect, right? I, totally. I so. Uh, then I explained to him the whole concept on on Friday in the car of the swear jar, uh, mm. like putting a dollar in a in a, a jar every time you say it. He was quite keen on that because he does know that <laughs> I do swear uh, a fair bit. So the little capitalist in George uh, was quite excited by the by the notion of uh, of making some easy money off of his old man. Right. That's a, that's a game I think every kid would try and play, and then he no would doubt. trap you as much as he could. <laughs> I uh, but yeah let's let's go back to uh you're you're saying formally uh, in public affairs and uh what was that journey like for you I mean did you just do the normal okay I I, I normal school go to, to college then I go to law school and straight to it was that always the plan for you no so I had no plan so I grew up uh I grew up very poor um you know single mom uh had no money uh went to university so i went uh i grew up in montreal uh went to a school called the university of western ontario which is in london ontario which is about halfway between toronto and detroit so about Hmm. two hours drive uh southwest of of toronto um and i went for political science and uh, I knew political science was not leading anywhere. Um, so like in terms of a job, like making right, money, right. I was just tired of being poor. I was just running up uh, debt. So on a lark in second year undergrad, I wrote the LSAT, which for those who don't know is the standardized test to get into law school. And at least in Canada, technically law school is an undergraduate degree. So you don't need an undergraduate degree to get into mm. law school, but obviously 98% of people do a, do a four-year degree and then move on to, to law school after that. And on that one day that I wrote the LSAT, the, and it was, I was, I was half, um, I wasn't working too hard uh, on that. I was going to say another sure. word. Uh, <laughs> I had not practiced very much. I had done one practice. I didn't do one of the courses. Uh, and on the practices I was doing, uh, I was doing adequate, but not great. And on that one day, everything just worked. It's, hmm. it's, it's like, like the Armand Galarraga, where on one day it all just comes together and magic happens. Well, eventually, well, the um, an umpire, an, eventually an, um, an umpire <laughs> may make a bad call. Uh, that never happened. Um, so wow. I, I aced the LSAT. Like I, I, oh, wow. You, you really, uh, on that day and, and the, the ne- if I'd rewritten the test the next day, I'm not convinced I would have gotten anything close to it. Sure, uh, sure. but on that one day I, I, I did really well. So I, I switched into law school uh, for third year, basically. For my third year at Western, I was now in law school. And I was by far the youngest kid there. I would have been 20 going on 21 uh, that year. So I was, I was a child. And if you had asked me in first year law school, um, so what are you going to do with this degree? I would have been like, man, I don't know, maybe like a constitutional lawyer, a human rights lawyer, because I had never met a lawyer uh, before. Like I didn't just, I just hmm. didn't grow up in a world where you knew lawyers, so I had no concept. 
of what lawyers were. So what happened was in first year law school, I was this kid and I was basically living a third year undergrad life. Like I was hanging out with my undergrad friends. I was a this is, you're gonna you're gonna love this, Nick. I was a competitive debater in university. I was very good. We all knew this. Uh, knew I this was a very good. So so I was going away every single weekend for debating tournaments. Uh, super cool. Um, and like I hit uh, I hit uh, April in first year law school, and I was gonna get B minuses and Cs. I was gonna pass, but I was not doing well. And for one month, I just put my head down and I've never worked harder than I worked for that one month. Uh, my strategy was because I had missed a lot of lectures, like I, I, I really hadn't done much. And because that was how I did first and second year undergrad, like it was just kind of, right, right. you know, you show up, you write a paper the, the night before and, and you, you, you do okay. Um, so for one month, I didn't just read all the books that had been assigned for like contract law. I took out a second, like 800 page textbook and read another textbook and summarized oh it and knew it. So I was citing cases, the law prof who was marking my exam had to look up because I had just gone <laughs> so crazy. So I aced first year law school because of that one month and I deserved it. Like I was there, unlike the LSAT there, I really did put in the work for one sure. month and came back in second year. And uh, my, my friends who knew what was what, because I still knew nothing, uh, were like, well, you, you really killed it in first year. You know, there's these big corporate law firms that are going to pay you an obscene amount uh, to be a summer student uh, next year. And I said, I'm very interested in this. And one of them said, <clears throat> quite rightly, um, you know, the lawyers who make the most money um, are tax lawyers. Now, I had never taken tax law. I couldn't have told you what tax law really was at sure, that yeah. point. But if you got copies of my cover letters to all these big Toronto, New York, um, <clears throat> Boston law firms, the first paragraph says, my dream in life is to be a tax lawyer. <laughs> uh, and and to be fair, the, 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 the kids in my class, I guess they weren't really kids, the, 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 the young men and women in my class uh, were right. Tax lawyers do do very well. So, so uh, I, I, I got a bunch of interviews and I, and I got a job at a, a top Toronto corporate law firm. And I was going to be a summer student. And it was a ton of money. Like it was more money than my mo my late mother ever made as a teacher in like per on a per week basis. Right, yeah. uh, it was a thousand dollars a week, uh, which is a lot of money. Like that is that is I'm I'm not poo pooing it, but to me at the time it was an obscene amount of money. Sure, I had never yeah. imagined that. So, so I just kind of fell into it in that sense. And then I did take, by the way, uh, income tax law in uh, second semester of second year and, and like 15 minutes in realized there is no chance this is the rest of my life. This is so <laughs> boring and so dry. Well, and, can you imagine just like eight year old you waking up like, I'm going to be a tax lawyer. That is uh, my dream. Um, God bless the kids who do wake <laughs> up and dream that. And to be fair, even to this day, I have friends who are now partners at big corporate law firms and, and they really fall into a couple of different buckets. There's a small group of them who truly love the area of law that they want. Like my best, my best man at my wedding, one of my closest friends still in, in the world is a, a competition lawyer, an antitrust lawyer in American mm -hmm. uh, legal sense. And he loves it. He writes papers. He goes to conferences. He loves that area of law and he's making a lot of money and it's, it's a great life for those types of people. So that's a small bucket of people in my experience who work in those types of environments. And then there's the other group who um, get the job, start making a lot of money, uh, buy a house, have kids, have the kids at private school, buy a boat, divorce the first wife, marry the second wife sometimes develop a drug habit um, because they're 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 in such a, a panic and realize very quickly I need so much money every single year and there is no other job I can imagine out there that it doesn't matter how miserable I am it doesn't matter how much I hate my day-to-day -day life that's why I might have a drinking or a, a drug problem and I don't say that lightly like addictions a, a terrible uh, thing part was joke but 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 it's also a, a serious thing and those people are trapped. 
and they're handcuffed to that job. And I realized after being at the law firm, which was a very positive experience and a great education for me at like 21, 22, 23, I learned a ton. I knew nothing about how the world worked. I knew nothing about certainly corporate world work. Uh, I learned a ton of lessons. I quickly so realized that's not for me. you were the second person then. You were the one that's, you're trapped is what you're trying to say now, Rob. Uh, I got out. I had no child. I had a girlfriend at the time who is now my wife, but it was not my wife yet. And I realized that while that was a great education, that's not what I wanted to do. Right. So I, I worked in government for a little bit and um, was entrepreneurial. And I started my own business. And mm-hmm. that's what I, I uh, loved doing. And I, I loved building businesses. I loved selling clients. And I really uh, enjoyed uh, that uh, side of things. Um, big law firms, in my experience, can make government look entrepreneurial and nimble by comparison. Like they are, they're again, they're for for some people, they're amazing places. For for me, it would have been a very stifling uh, place. I'm uh, more entrepreneurial, I think. By so by the nature. the uh, the public affairs firm that was a business that you started. That, that was that was uh, so I I no so I started my own. Uh, company uh when i would have been um 27 years old and uh people said wow that's a crazy risk i mean you know that you you know this you started 26 27 and it's like man like look i know how i'm gonna eat for the next few months worst case scenario there is a big law firm somewhere who will hire me and pay me sure yeah uh money i i will find a way to eat but like it does, it, it it's risky if you have a giant mortgage and three kids you need to feed and all of these things. Now at at, at this point in my life, if I were to start something, you could say, say well, that's a big risk um, because I have obligations. When I was twenty seven years old, I had no obligations. So it or or it's the, the you know, and the twenty seven year old me would have told you know now forty something year old me you know shut your mouth like you you look look old man you don't know what you're talking about. It's also when you're when you're that age you're stupid. You don't know what the risks are that you're really getting involved. You right. think you, you think you're smart, and I you know there are a lot of smart twenty somethings. I'm not talking down about uh, young people. They're brilliant twenty somethings, but you're also there's the arrogance of youth. There's the optimism of youth, however you want to frame it. And I think it's a very powerful thing. It's the reason why so many successful startups are started by young people, not uh, middle-aged people. <laughs> well, my dad would always tell me, um, you know, now is the time to be tired, right? Totally. Uh, is You won't be later on, but you have this energy that you'll be able to recover from you know, late nights and, and pushing forward through those times that you just won't have later on. You'll have a family, you'll have kids also bring, you know, taking up time and energy mm-hmm. that and you know we as humans don't have this endless uh well to go to especially as we age so there's no I, doubt and there's also the the there's just a certain amount of chutzpah that young people have which mm. is it's like nick does the world really need one more baseball uh website and you're not even writing about everything it's just pitching yeah, it's like it's people, if if you're going to start a website <laughs> you got to at least talk about hitting too who's coming to a website just to listen to read about uh pitching it, it makes no sense where whereas at a, you're at a certain point where it's like no this is going to be awesome and people are going to come to it and this is going to work how are you making money you're giving it away for free nick yeah how are you going to make money it makes <laughs> no sense this business plan and now uh, I'm at a point where I'm the guy who will come up with all the reasons why this is a really dumb idea. Like you shouldn't do it. Whereas when you're when you're younger, you can think of all the reasons why it could be awesome. And nobody's doing this, and somebody should do it, and it should be me. And I think that's such an inspiring, amazing thing. And you try to hold on to that as you you get older, but it but it's tough. Real life and experience um, weighs down on you. Well, well uh, first of all, thank you for uh, for giving me any sort of credit with it. But I will say, I mean, with this kind of thing, it's not like one day I just said, you know what, I'm going to make this amazing business and it's going to do all of these things, and that's it. It was an entire it was an entire week uh, process. <laughs> yeah, <to get> that. <laughs> no, um, I mean, with this, uh, I I won't go into the whole story or anything like that. But it was just I had one thing that I wanted to do. It wasn't a business proposition necessarily. It was just, hey, I think a gift database would be a cool thing, and I have all this time and i love projects and i love doing that and then it's just like as you keep going oh cool we can go and do that um i spent the first four actually think five years 
um, paying all of our staff in the four years. Uh, anyone that came in to do an article, it was just five bucks an article, but I wanted to pay them for, for that. Yep. Um, out of my pocket. Uh, there was no, you know, That's no amazing. ads, no nothing. Um, and it was think, just because, I think, like, I felt you're helping build my thing. Like, you should be paid that. And I had the, the means to do that. So just slowly and steadily, if you, you know, I enjoyed the project I was doing and I've been incredibly lucky to surround myself with um, some amazing people that have just taken this thing and made it so much more than it ever was. I think it's awesome that you guys pay people, uh, pay everybody. Uh, I think it's important. Um, and it's I, I, I'm not criticizing any other uh, site or anybody, any other business model that doesn't uh, pay people. I think even if you're paying people a relatively nominal amount, $5, obviously, for, for yeah, uh, no, nobody's, yeah. nobody's feeding themselves or anybody else off of, uh, you've, you've got to, you've got to be doing a lot of pitching gifts, uh, to, to <laughs> at five bucks to, uh, feed people. Um, but I think it's really important. I bought with two business partners. Do you know Gothamist in New York? Yes. Yeah. The, the website. Yeah. So Gothamist back in the day, and this was uh, over a decade ago, um, had um, they had Miamiist and Chicagoist, oh, and wow. uh, um, and they were all doing very well. It was at an era where uh, where they, I, don't, I have no idea how Gothamist is doing right now, except for Torontoist, which was their Toronto site, uh, was the only site according to, to Gothamist that was going bankrupt. And they were going to shut down Torontoist. And a buddy of mine had written for uh, for Torontoist. And um, so I email him. It was just before Christmas. And I say, do you still know anybody there? Because I think it's really a good website. Like I think they're doing really good local content, good writers. Um, and I think there's a market for it in Toronto. Uh, do you know anybody there? I think we should reach out to them and see if there's some kind of a licensing deal or some kind of a deal for us to take it over. So he says, yeah, I sure. still know the, the, the guys at Gothamist. So we ended up buying out Torontoist um, from them, did a total turnover on the, the finances of Torontoist and sold Torontoist to a big Canadian publishing company uh, called St. Joseph's media for, for a, a publicly undisclosed amount, but for uh, it is one a of profit, the, though? uh, an obscene profit, um, in go. a sense, uh, relative. And I don't say that. Well, I guess I do say that to brag. Uh, why else <laughs> would I say that? Uh, especially that way. Uh, but yes, we paid very little and we did very well on the other side because it was by far the local, the, the biggest by traffic indie Toronto uh, website. And there were multiple different big media companies that wanted to tap into the demographics. So we hit it right at a timing yeah. uh, point where they all decided for us to start a new site to build up uh, traffic with that demographic. We have surplus digital ads that we need to push somewhere. Um, would take would cost more money than simply buying it. And as soon as we had more than one company uh, interested, uh, we did pretty well. Amazingly, my buddy, who I happened to email uh, there, so he, when when we sold it, part of the deal was he got an employment contract with St. Joseph to run their whole digital property. Uh, he has moved up and now runs St. Joseph's has now bought a bunch of uh, magazines. He runs the entire magazine di uh, division, which is the biggest magazine company in Canada now. Oh, and wow. uh, he's, he's a great guy. He's a brilliant guy. He would have done just fine if I had never emailed him. But there's a pretty good chance he wouldn't be doing this job if I hadn't emailed him. So it was as amazing as the job uh, or as the money was for selling it, uh, him now like killing it. He's he's the cock of the walk. Like he when he goes when you go out for a to a restaurant in Toronto with him, everybody knows him because they all want the positive reviews. It's, sure, it's yeah, quite a, right. a weird thing because he was one of my debating uh, partners back <laughs> in university. Look at uh, that. So so, I mean, that, that was truly the uh, the special thing that you did was clearly uh, debate uh, set you up. For all these uh, negotiations and all these, this is gonna this is gonna future. be worse than the one time I talked about CrossFit. On are we? Are you? Are you ashamed of this? Because uh, honestly, I'm not ashamed. I'm not. I'm not. Honestly, Nick, I'll be. I'll be. I'll be serious yeah. about it. Um, it was the best thing I ever started doing in right. terms of uh, network of friends I had. I met my wife through it and skills that I got out of it. I was, uh, and this will shock you. 
I was absurdly competitive back in no, the day. No, Rob. So I know. I know. I'm a different person <laughs> now, so it's hard for you to imagine what I even would have been like. It's, but, but cast your mind to a totally different Rob Silver. Um, so I was to the point. I've told. I've told some of my buddies recently this story. So I was so competitive and determined to win. We were at a debating tournament and. You know, like the first on Friday night at, at these university debating tournaments, it's sort of random. Uh, there's seating, so if you're, you're good, they try to make good teams not hit each other. Otherwise, it's just random. So we end up um, debating against a team from our own university, and I'm already pretty good at this point. And there's this like sh- she looks she looks like she's ten, uh, young woman uh, who's it's her like first or second uh, tournament, and and her her partner. And I'm like hyped up Rob. I'm ready to destroy whoever I'm debating against. Let's just say I bring her to tears in the debate to the point that the judge feels like they have to go over and start comforting the the, the young woman. I'm not proud of this, uh, Nick. The one line I used in that debate that still sticks out was at one point I say, you know, her argument was so weak. I didn't want to waste the ink in my you know, 10 cent big by writing it down. So that's, that's who I was today. You would call me a bully, uh, back then, (laughs) back then. And I know I have a smile on my face, so it it looks like I'm proud. It's so absurd thinking back. So when you ask, am I like, am I embarrassed by it? Um, I'm not embarrassed that I did it. I got lots out of it. I'm gl- I wouldn't undo it. Uh, I'm so not, uh, jokes aside, I am so not that person anymore. Right. I would never talk to another human being uh, that way uh, again. And I totally lost focus. Now, I'm glad I was successful. I'm the, the most successful debater in North American history uh, in terms of just results. Like my my debate war would be uh, like uh, Barry Bonds uh, in terms of my results. So it's not that being successful, being competitive is a bad thing. I just lost, I was so immature uh, and so myopic in terms of what I was doing that uh, I was... Uh, uh, a giant. I'll use one of those words. Right, I'm not allowed yeah. to use on so, the on the uh, podcast. I was not a nice person, uh, and I, I that part of it I cringe. And I'm very grateful that there was no YouTube or cell phones with video cameras, so there's really no evidence of it anymore. But I know uh, what an awful person I was when I was doing it. Well, you've clearly grown from it, and I understand. You know, mentioning the the stuff and how you react to it is completely different from how we do because I, I mean i i wasn't in any way suggesting it in jest as like aha it's like no i think debate is great i was so bad at it i was so terrible. really oh god I, I i i there were so many elements of me that were just so poor for this one i um i i, I would be too sympathetic to the other person's argument <laughs> i would you know i would understand that and go you know that's a really good point you know like i would just uh, have respect for the other person like oh what am i thinking of so insecure about how i thought about it wouldn't do enough uh, research and didn't have enough belief in my own knowledge base itself um, and I get, you know, I have anxiety and in that moment, it would, my brain would just shut off a lot. Um, I've certainly, I think improved as I've gone on. And I think the thing that a lot of people see with me is, uh, you know, I, I focus only on starting pitching. So when it comes to that foundation of knowledge, I can stand on that so much better in a, a discussion. You know, I don't even like saying debating or arguing because that's just so, I don't want to do that. It brings out a certain part of me that I really don't like either um, where, you know, as a kid I was ultra competitive um, and I've really tried as best as I can to step away from the, you know, winning and what that means. And it's just detach myself from the necessity of victory or whatever. Um, And uh, the more that I can do that and say, Hey, this isn't an argument about me versus you. And then all of a sudden if I lose, Oh no, my reputation is terrible and I'm embarrassed and I just feel inferior and all that stuff. Like, well, hold on. That doesn't, that's not at play here and try and do that. And that has helped me at least have those discussions and everything. But yeah, I was, Oh, I was the worst. I had to do it in sixth grade and we lost unanimously. And I have to think that I was part of that problem. So I, I come across, I know I'm very, I'm, I'm quite self-aware of this. I come across as very hot 
so in, in the, I mean, mean this in like a Marshall McLuhan uh, hot cold uh, media. So I seem very passionate when I'm talking mm. about uh, stuff. I, I I make people often feel inadvertently still like I'm trying to engage you in a debate because clearly Rob feels very strongly uh, right, yeah. about this when in fact – like with maturity with the 20 years since I did uh, competitive debating. Um, it's not that I don't have strong beliefs or opinions. It's that I understand nuance. I understand gray. I understand complexity. And none of those things play well in a 28 minute uh, competitive debate forum, like right, it's a sport yeah. and you need to be definitive and there's no gray. It's I'm right. You're wrong. I win. Now, you lose. Yeah. But in real life or podcasts or any a discussion, sorry. Um, it, it's all gray and it's all nuance and it's all complexity and it's all uncertainty. Um, and the objectivity and- is gone as well as much, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity to it, which then you have to like, you know, you can't stand on that as you were before. And I think the biggest thing that you just said that really surprised me is that you said you understand gray and I don't understand Mr. Albright. I, I can't. He's, uh, it's just a lot. Uh, I know. And I love him so much. Uh, He's such a character. But, um, but I, I will say, I mean, again, going back to initially, I was surprised to hear that you felt in any way like I was poking fun at it. Debate is such an incredible skill to have. And, you know, for me, I think podcasting helped immensely just in my personal life of, yeah, being thrown into those situations, how I handle myself, what's important to it, being able to say, I don't know, and recognize like, oh, yeah, that's a that's an important stance to take and have that humility and say, like, I'm not just going to debate something because I have to be right. Like, I need to feel as if, like, I don't lose. Like, say, oh, cool, that's a really good point. Move on. You know, like, I didn't think about that, right? Um, so, and- I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm in, I'm in, I was originally joking about being embarrassed because, uh, let's be fair, even for guys who host fantasy baseball podcasts, <laughs> debating is a, a, a quite a geeky uh, hobby. Sure, uh, yeah. say, saying you're the best debater in North America is not a, yeah, when you're, when you're single going to the so bar, it's not necessarily. Um, but the skills, the skills I think that it, it's not so much the arguing, um, the back and forth that's the, the important skills. It's being the things that you are great at, uh, even if you say you're not a great debater, is, um, organizing your thoughts. So how to succinctly, quickly make to get to a point. I don't have 45 minutes to get to this point. I have to pick in my brain as I'm going, what are the two or three best arguments and get them across uh, quickly in an an organized, compelling, um, succinct way. I think whatever you do, um, if you're going for a job interview, if you're a teacher, if you're a uh, just somebody in business meetings, what or, or just interacting with people, that is one of the most important and one of the most undervalued, um, like underappreciated. It's, it's highly valued. It's underappreciated because we don't teach it. Is how do you do that? How do you get to the point? I know as I as I ramble ironically about this. <laughs> Uh, point um, and make some make a make a succinct clear argument right. that's compelling is if you only have that skill you can be you know having a decent moral grounding having like you know treating people with decent respect is also sort of important but 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 it's such a valuable skill and we don't talk about it we don't teach it there's no oh, course man. to go do it well we don't talk about communication i feel like there's a bit of poet poetry there uh but uh, i oh man I've, i i feel so strongly about that i feel that a lot of human anger and and war and um, you know, hatred comes from a lack of communication and, and ability to express that that's accepted and understood. Uh, and so to be able to communicate is, is something that is just so unbelievably important uh, in anything you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's something I've also realized a ton when it comes to 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 picture list and everything is management is just organizing thoughts and communicating. And having someone that you trust to be able to do that effectively on your behalf is just so unbelievably important. And I've talked to a lot of people who, you know, I've even, I remember actually even read a book saying that the best managers are the ones that sometimes don't even know what the product is. 
Uh, yep. It doesn't matter. It, 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 that's not the the importance. And then they'll ask the questions. When, when you start, when you, when you start, when you start hitter list, that that'll be yeah. your motto. Like I don't, I don't even understand <laughs> what we're talking is, here, guys. I even, you know, I have John Metzler who does that. 150 <laughs> hitters every Wednesday or whatever in season because I'm like, I don't know what this is, but you can communicate it well, and like you do it, you know. Um, and, and that's it, it's so important and. and I think on both sides too, not just as a manager, but if you're as a, as a staffer anywhere, I uh, and you're thinking in this company like, how do I like I want to progress up this ladder? That is the thing that they're going to look to. Do I trust this person to make rational decisions, ask the right questions, and then communicate it succinctly? Um, and but now what you I what I like that, it's huge. Yeah. What I love about the way you talk about pitchers is I know we're not supposed to get into baseball here, but I think there's a larger, uh, there's, I think there's a larger point to it. Sure. Is I love that you could talk with, you know, Sporer or with, with whoever for an hour about one pitcher and go into incredible depth and incredible uh, complexity with analogies, with breakdowns and with, with clear mastery of the subject. And yet, if you were on a different podcast or in a different forum the next day and say, give me 15 seconds on the same picture, why, why is he going to be great next year or, or not going to get it done next year? You could take that hour-long conversation that you just had with uh, Spore and distill it into the 15 seconds of compelling uh, content so that the person who never will listen to the Spore uh, doesn't care about that level. Of, why would they uh, never listen to Spore? Uh, what is that? That's ridiculous. Uh, would, who doesn't care? about that level of complexity <laughs> they just want to know should i buy this sure. player should i not buy this player is this player going to be good on my favorite team next year is that player not right. going to be good on my favorite team you can deliver the compelling uh message and i well, think that's the key it's not the politician it's it's not saying to people become the politician who just has a speaking point and and gets everything in 10 seconds you need to also be able to explain deep complicated uh concepts because sometimes that's what's called for uh, and i think it's it's not a lot of people have both of those uh skills lots of people can do one but not the other and i think it's, well it's that's impressive. very kind of you i i take uh, but it's true i do take the whole off season to get there though uh, uh, i mean it's it's a process no it, it's i mean i obviously sure. i do it year round but for the next year i take october november december january writing about essentially the top 200 or whatever and inside of that is me taking the time looking at the depth stuff and saying okay then you know then breaking that down and then preparing it so then i have for myself now yeah those talking points that i know the things that i believe in inherently and then i can strip from that do you uh, enjoy more do you enjoy more the winter like that process or do you enjoy more uh, April 1st when the oh, games start. April and it's 1st, drinking. because that is the fun. That is like the, yeah. there's nothing more enjoyable in life, Rob, than pleasant surprise. Sure. You know, where you don't know what's around the corner and what that is, is actually something that you enjoy, didn't think of yourself, didn't anticipate. And the season is filled with it. You know, you have pitchers throwing harder than ever in, in April and being amazing all of a sudden, or they added a new pitch or something different. And it's just so exciting to see that journey and see them uh, get going. Oh, some like, wait, that person that you all hate, you should not hate him. <laughs> don't do uh, that. That's a really bad thing to do because he's really I, good. You know, I, I, I don't disagree with you. And I, obviously I love watching baseball. I love when games are happening. I love getting box scores. But there's something I find very cathartic and um, enjoyable about the offseason. As much mm. as I miss baseball during the offseason – of the potential of like discovering sure. something like I just, I just was doing a bit of a, did an hour of uh, prep work this morning and I found this little nugget about one, uh, one player. We're not going to talk about the, the <laughs> nugget because that's not, uh, just, just say the who point. the player is. Uh, I'll find the nugget too. Uh, I, I, I found a crazy stat about you Darvish. That ah. was an insight on why that I, th I thought was really interesting on, uh, kind of the mystery of you Darvish, uh, sure. to me that I'd never, you, to be fair, for all I know, you've written 15,000 words already about <laughs> this, uh, uh, nugget. Um, but the point is like, I, w so, so it's important to me what I've, uh, found because I think it's predictive. Like I think it's, and therefore in spring training, if I see you Darvish doing this, then I think he's going to be 
good. If I think he's, if I see him doing this, I think he's going to be bad, but at least I now have a different frame to look at the player through. And for this, for the next like five months, there's nothing I can do. I could, I could, I could write about it. I could podcast about it. I could talk about it, but it's unprovable. It's also like, yeah. it's just num, it's just numbers and observations. I watched some videos and it all, uh, checked out. So it's unknowable. Uh, but I find something very enjoyable uh, about oh, yeah. that. It's one of the oh. things uh, I like uh, doing. Whereas I find, and you're obviously you're grinding it out day to by day. I find once the games start, it's really hard to do that kind of thing because you're just you're just it's constant. So you have to make calls for free agents. You have to make make all these calls, but it's hard to do the like. And now I'm just going to spend two hours diving into this guy because who well, has two hours in the season to do that? It, it's back and forth. Uh, I mean, obviously in season I do my nightly thing and analysis. Then yep. it helps me keep on that. Um, there's also, and we, we talked in the, uh, before the podcast about how we hate winter It's the worst. And yes. to me, March is the best month of the year. Cause I call it the hype month because that what you're talking about, the excitement, the anticipation, that's all there in March. And I just, I can't wait for that. Just the feeling of around the corner. I can't Here. wait to see if all we made, things... we made, we made it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, then right, the, the weather starts getting a little bit warmer. Also, other things like March Madness is just way too much stupid fun. Um, no just blindly shouting at, at players that I've never even thought of a week ago. Now they're my guy. Like, it's the best fun ever. It's, uh, I, lo- I love March Madness for that. <laughs> it's like, um, I haven't watched a single college game, but I'm absolutely right. confused. Uh, convinced if Oregon Tech's, you know, was able to play their zone. It's like we've already read the same exact article making the exact same point that you internalize as it's like I can't believe their their center is is isn't matching up with their power for you know it's, it's like crazy. You, not you've to never mention- seen this guy play before. You do the full bracket math too yeah. of just if this team wins and that wins, then I will win that. And it's just back and forth. It, it's just so much fun to do that. There's no doubt. Uh, but yeah, so March to me is that hype month. Um, but I, it's also, I will say, the winter stinks for another reason for me, which is kind of unavoidable in what I do. Um, it's, the, it's the months of anxiety where sure. I am, um, as a business, you can probably guess that baseball and we as a business do better in March and April and May than we do in November, December, and January. Yep. So there's a constant thought of mine as I, you know, we put out the next iteration of Pitcher List and we think for the year ahead. And it's so important to really nail those that those first four months or so um, and make sure that if we're doing anything new, that's when it has to be realized. And, and that's when you make your, your noise. I, I don't always know if it's going to work or not. And I don't know, especially now when there's this strike Labor. potentially happening. Um, am I putting ourselves in a certain situation that we shouldn't be in? And it's just, there's always, you know, I, I pace in my kitchen and do the, the financial math and all that kind of stuff. And I run the numbers and I say, well, then there's this potential or that potential. Like, like I always go back and forth with it. So it just makes that process. It's not as cathartic for me because I can't as often as I would like to just sit down and be like, all right, you know what? Today I'm going to just look at the Jays rotation. And yeah. that's all I'm going to do. I can't, unfortunately. So that inherently makes it worse. But there is something really fun. I mean, I'm going to be doing live streams of me just going over teams and we're just going to watch games together yep. and it's going to be really fun. And I and I do enjoy that process that Good. I get to take that step back more so in the winter. Does it make it more stressful for you looking ahead to the unknown of like what's about to come? because we've just been through the COVID experience and is it, is it more difficult because you know, my God, that was awful. And it was like a daily struggle or does it make it better for you because you can look back at the COVID experience and say it was awful, but like we came out even stronger uh, as awful as it was. Yeah. So, so that is, is comforting. It's also though, we've, we've changed. We've, uh, we've, uh, what we're doing (laughs) for PL seven, the next one is, absurd and uh you know back when when covid hit we weren't really investing in much at the time we were very conservative with it fortunately so i mean i was thinking about making you know doing things once i saw how things started at the beginning of the year and then it just didn't happen right got delayed so that made it easier for me um and you know we weren't you know we didn't have uh bills to pay in the massive way and stuff like that 
So obviously, you know, now it's a little different. And uh, I, we'll be fine. Don't worry, everybody. We're, this is, we're not going to die or anything like that. We're not going to go away. But it's just, uh, I can't help this because, uh, you know, it, it's just natural. You just, you, you uh, want these things so, to succeed. So, so to, uh, I was in 1994, um, 18 years old. So I remember the 94 strike. Uh, mm. Take this for exactly what it's worth, which is nothing because I have no, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, idea what the future holds. This doesn't feel like 1994 uh, to me. Um, And by that, I mean there isn't the public visceral hatred between the players and uh, between the union and and, and ownership. It doesn't mean that there aren't big issues. There are, of course, big issues, uh, big money uh, involved. Um, But by 94, there was so much toxicity between the sides that you almost had to blow things up uh, in order to to put them back together, which is an Expos fan, obviously broke my heart and um, destroyed the franchise. Um, It doesn't feel like that. Now that doesn't guarantee that there's going to be not a game uh, missed. I think it's it, it's counterintuitively positive that it may be starting in December as opposed to February. It gives them enough time to have the the sable rattling and uh, the anger and still get to spring training. So it may not feel good. It may not be great for your business in terms of uh, the winter months, those key months to to do right. the planning. But as opposed to uh, things not coming to an agreement until May 1st, which would be way worse in terms of cutting into the season. Uh, so my my gut is there will not be a single game lost uh, this year uh, because of the labor. That, that's that's right. a wonderful gut. Uh, let's all collectively applaud wherever we are to the guts of Rob Silver. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, I hope it's a wonderful biome too. Yeah. Uh, and but let's, let's let's take it off of baseball. I mean, I obviously can sure, talk sorry, about sorry, I, I dragged drag this. No, off. this is. I mean, it's a fun topic. No worries whatsoever. Um, so I want to go back though. You did start a business, and you didn't actually. Yeah. I don't think say what that was exactly. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show so it was it was the public affairs firm. So I I okay. I, I I have been involved in a number of businesses, um, but um, so yeah. So I I started I started a business. Uh, it was a public affairs firm in in uh, 2006. I started the business, and then two I ran it, and it was going well, and I was growing it, uh, kind of month by month, quarter by quarter. And then I met two business partners, and. One was working at a public affairs firm. Uh, another one w- was running his own public affairs firm. And the three of us decided to come together and build a company called Crestview. And um, by the time of uh, the election in 2015 that my wife won uh, came around, we were at 25 employees and doing well. Like we were, we had Coca-Cola as a company. And the thing about us getting Coke was we were the first non-Hill and Knowlton or Hill and Knowlton. Like for them to hire an independent firm to do all their Canadian work is it's much easier to hire the same uh, company that they're hiring in Atlanta and Paris and London and DC and everywhere else. And they hired us and we were the first one in over a decade they'd broken away from. Um, we had Amazon at a time when it was um, it was cool to have Amazon. We had Facebook at a time <laughs> when you uh, uh, could feel good about having Facebook. Right. Things the world changes over time. So uh, so, uh, so we had built this great company, 
Um, but, but, you know, it was my, I, either I had to give up the company and sell, sell my shares, uh, to my business, uh, partners or my wife couldn't do her job. It was truly, yeah. uh, it was truly binary. So it was a very, uh, very easy decision. And like I said, when I left, there were about 25 employees. Uh, my two business, former business partners who are still very close friends built it. They have, uh, over a hundred employees now. So they've, they've oh, just wonderful. exploded, uh, either because of, or despite my departure, uh, <laughs> last five, uh, five years. So, yeah, so, that, so I, so I did that, uh, and I'm very proud of that. And then, you know, Toronto West and I, I invested in a bunch of, uh, of tech companies that, that did pretty well that, um, that I, I helped out with as well. So, so outside of then doing the launch angle podcast and playing in NFBC and being a former main event champion, uh, yes. what, what are you doing with your time after uh, you had to leave that firm? Um, so for, for the, so we moved to Ottawa, uh, obviously we were living in Toronto, uh, moved to Ottawa for my wife's job. Uh, at the time my son was five years old. So it was one of those things where the plan was not for me to kind of be a stay at home dad and just kind of, a a bum, I guess, is the term, and people cringe <laughs> when I I say that. They're like, "Well, Rob, you're taking care of your son. It's it's the most important uh, job you can do." Right. And and I, I I don't disagree. Like I am so lucky and so blessed because my wife obviously works in her job uh, ridiculous hours. She travels a fair bit. When the prime minister travels internationally, she usually uh, goes with him. So. Um, so, but but the flip side is my son goes to school. Like I drop him off at school at, at eight o'clock. I pick him up at, at four thirty five o'clock. So it's not like he's six months old and I'm I'm sitting there changing diapers all day and sure. uh, uh, watching uh, awful kids television all so, day. So, so so Rob, so what are the best cleaning ingredients then that I should get <laughs> for my home? Uh, I am. Uh, I am not a uh, you. I am not the guy you want to ask uh, about that. I'm I'm uh, I'm not a slob, but I'm not uh, I'm not the the, the cleaning <laughs> guy uh, either. So no, look, I I was very lucky. Me and my son have a very close relationship. Which he he calls my wife, who's also a wonderful mom, uh, the backup. Like I'm, I'm the primary. Oh wow! And when, uh, when, when I go away, when I go to Arizona, for example, as we, we were both at uh, two weeks ago, he'll, he'll literally say, and he's part joking, part serious. He's like, "Time for the backup to step up." Oh my god! Uh, I would be, I would might, be mortified if that, uh, that was the case. If I was ever uh, called a backup sh- by my child. Sh- she, she, my wife, luckily, uh, as the primary, uh, my <laughs> wife takes it. At first, she was a bit annoyed with it. And I'm like, look, I didn't tell him to say that. This is not me uh, putting him up to, to it. So, uh, so no, like I'm, I'm very lucky uh, that I had those uh, almost five years where I was unemployed. Uh, well, well and- how does it feel right now, though, Rob? You are no longer Rob Silver. You are Rob Gold in your, you in your child's eyes. Uh, it's great. And very lucky, and uh, it's uh, very privileged. Uh, we're very privileged, also, that financially we could uh, afford uh, to do it. Not everybody, obviously, most people uh, uh, can't do it. But you hit a point where it just became too much. Like it's mm-hmm. hard. It's it is. It it and there. Like of all the, the tales of woe in the world, my tale of woe uh, is is pretty low on the list well, uh, of yes. things anybody should you know, should, the- should shed a tear uh, for. But oh, five years of five years of being unemployed uh, just became uh, a constant source of like I can't keep doing this. I can't right. uh, you, keep you doing need, this. You're someone that uh, needs purpose that needs to feel a lot more like you're you're creating and, and going off for for it. sure. And at the time, it's like who knew COVID was about to come and we we're all right. going to be sitting at, at home uh, doing whatever we do. But um, but yeah, like it was I I was I would never tell my wife. And now you have to stop doing your job. <laughs> like it's too much. Well, it's course, it's yeah. overtime. It's just not how our relationship works. It's not how our marriage works. Uh, certainly, if I want to keep my marriage, it's not how our marriage uh, is going to work for very long. Um, so, um, so yeah. So then I, I got a job. Uh, literally. Um, so I started in. I started at the, at the company I'm at now in January 2020. 
mm-hmm. and the plan was so they're they're based out of Toronto. The plan was and it was going to be perfect. I'd go to Toronto kind of for a night or two uh, a week, and my wife and I would kind of manage. Uh, kid uh, pick up and, and drop off and all of that. And otherwise I'd work in Ottawa. And I think I made it to the office about four times before <laughs> March uh, 2020. Oh, and man. so I've met my colleagues uh, literally a hand, you know, one hand uh, time um, in person. Um, so that's been, that's but, been I mean, it sounds right though. I mean, now, you know, it's, we're still dealing with quarantines and I, you know, but we've experienced Accepted this remote work, and it sounds like that's the perfect scenario for for your for me, situation. For, for me, it's pretty good. For me, it, it works out. I I don't know about I don't know how you feel about this. I miss seeing people. I miss oh, yeah. seeing grownups. Uh, I miss having the social interaction over coffee and just yeah. the ki- the kibitzing in around uh, sure, yeah. with uh, with people. There are lots of weeks where like the only grownups that I will talk to is like the barista who makes a coffee for me in the morning. Uh, some people at the this gym, is, and you know, you know, like I, yeah. I have friends at the gym, and even that was gone for for big chunks of the last eighteen. Uh, months and otherwise, I talk to a, a really smart, funny, uh, straight-laced, non-swearing ten-year-old, uh, and at least the at least the conversation is entirely G-rated. But uh, there are things missing uh, from that, and I think a lot of people have uh, again, people have struggled with that. First of all, how dare you call me a ten-year-old? No, just kidding. <laughs> Second of all, no, I mean a lot of people have asked me the same thing. I've been working from home technically since 2011. Um, yeah, as many know, the reason I can do this, uh, pictureless is I have another job, um, running a website for a company, um, that I've been doing remote since then. And it's, oh man, I mean, I, I certainly would not call myself an introvert. There's always, I think a scale of how much you are versus you're not. I'm certainly on the more extroverted side. Um, and I've, I, you know, that's why I have a podcast like this that I need to find an excuse to talk to people, but it, it's so important for me that, during this season, especially, um, I need to have every single night of my week planned. I need to get out of the house as much as possible. Good for you. Um, it, it's so, so important. And COVID was really tough for me. Um, you know, I don't have a spouse. It was just at home. And I I, I, need, I, I had the necessity to actually go out. Um, what's, what's, and I couldn't what's, do it. What's in a non-COVID time? So let's say the before six months before COVID. What's sure. a typical What's a typical Wednesday night out for Nick? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a couple of different things. For example, I was playing in a, uh, a, a you know intramural co-ed uh, basketball league for a bit. That did happen. Why don't Why don't Why don't you go full Ariel Cohen and start posting your uh, stats? Softball. On, uh, My your, stats. Your, 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 oh no. Yeah, I, 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 I want. I want. like nightly. No, we need uh, to keep. Not, we need to keep track of our basketball well, stats or need, so. Then you need. To, you need to get one of the pitcher list uh, interns. <laughs> five five bucks a game. Like they're not doing. They're not oh, doing it. No. This, this, this is not charity. They're doing it for five bucks and i don't want just like like points rebounds assists i want some advanced basketball stats Plus from your co- yeah, yeah from, your, from your from your co-ed intramural basketball no, um i mean i stopped doing that obviously i mean i think right before covid too just because yeah. um i was getting banged up a bit i i, I had sure. dislocated my finger uh on my my ring finger on my left hand which made me like not be able to type i'm like uh-oh i I need to do that, your, you know. Your money, your your money maker is your yeah, your, my your fingers, and I can't, you know. I got a little bit scared for a moment about like I need to take a step back for a second. Now I feel like okay, you know, I'll figure it out if that happens, and I would get back into it. But that's not there now. I also coach, um, uh, rec basketball, so sometimes I'd host a practice like that. But I mean, in general, I, I I'm very fortunate to have a web of, of people that I know. Um, that I would just, you know, I would go out, out. And, and see, grab a drink with, you know, play a game, watch a movie, stuff like that. Awesome. Go off, and, you know, fortunately, Manhattan is a thing and constantly yes. there are events and things that just constantly tug you. Um, and that was the weirdest thing about COVID is I always felt, I mean, being in New York City, I think a lot of people can attest to this, especially if someone has been here for so long that I have a good amount of connections and everything that the city just is endlessly pulling you. Um, and there are so many w- things you can spend your time on that when COVID hit, it was so strange that I felt it was, you know, I looked at the week ahead and there was nothing 
that I was supposed to go to that I, you know, that I, uh, you know, I often look at, okay, cool. What is the excitement is like, what's coming next? You know, what do I have ahead of me? I had nothing. And uh, it, it really did shake me a bit, but, um, I, and, and I do miss, as you're mentioning, I miss like, I, I dream of the pictureless house or the, not the house, but like the office, the, yeah. the place where we're all buzzing, creating fun things and doing it. And I can just be the, uh, the boss from office space and, and twirl my, coffee around you know i want to be that guy said no one ever and i uh, that's I, I i dream of that because that just sounds so much fun to be in a place where we're all doing this thing that we all enjoy that'd be um, awesome so one day maybe because i yeah. certainly would prefer that to this full remote life but would man, that would that would that be the apex is i is mean that's part of, of the end game yes yeah then there's after that where i'm off and that's running and then i just kind of show up and do whatever i want for a moment yeah. and then leave you know but uh, i mean who knows it, it's uh, i've been so fortunate so far for this to go as far as it has and who knows what's around the corner that's i guess kind of the fun of it is not knowing what's ahead it just better be pleasant <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's think if it's not um yeah so i, I want to kind of wa- ask you that same thing because i mean we bring on a lot of people that are successful at what they do and you know i ask these questions a lot Jeez, about you've, you've, run, you've run out you've run out you've run out of those people Oh yeah, right. You've run, you've run out. You've run out of the successful list, and now you're 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 going to the moderately. No, well, uh, a lot of people are. You know, they even still being successful is a relative term. I think, um, and I think it is important for us to constantly have a goal to hit and reach and to constantly go to. I mean, it's there's nothing wrong with being content and enjoying that, but I'm certainly someone that needs that constant drive, and yeah. I, uh, and I, I imagine you're the same way. So, is there some sort of you know, end game for you that you're looking forward to. Uh, I'd love to build one more company, and I the problem, the challenge is, uh, I don't know what the company is. It's easy to say, people, people. It's like telling, it's like telling uh, somebody you should go write a book, Nick. Yeah, and right. it's like, <laughs> and what's the book about? Oh, I don't know that, but you should write a book. It's like I'd like to start another company. What does the company do? I have no idea. How right. does it make money? I, oh, I certainly have no concept of that yet. So I'd love to start one more. Uh, business because I think I still do have the energy and I do have the drive and I think I, I still have something to, to contribute. I just don't know what the company uh, is uh, yet and have to have to figure that out. Well, let's not lie, though, Rob. You you have a book in mind that you would write. We all know this. Uh, it's 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 uh, how, how my my enemies and how I am going to smite them uh, is the working <laughs> t- title. Uh, still still workshopping uh, th- that uh, is where I seek revenge against all those who have wronged me over the years. Yeah, the great smiter, Rob <laughs> yeah, Silver himself. Right. That's um, right. There is. A, we're getting close to an hour now, and I've realized how easily that went by. But I, I do. Have a question I, I have to, to go for. I have people. to go for. I have to go for physiotherapy on my hamstring. Uh, getting old sucks so much. Oh wow, uh, Nick. Uh, I really messed up my hamstring uh, like six weeks ago. But last night, I just uh, I heard a pop. Uh, no. so I think I, I, have to go to a physio and hope they can work some kind of magic. Oh, uh, I am so, so sorry I, to hear that. I have one last question, Rob. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I asked this to everybody. Uh, what is, what is your mantra? What is something that you feel that as you go through life that you find yourself always going back to? Um, it's not a mantra because it's not a catchy phrase and a mantra uh, feels <laughs> like it has to be something. Uh, when I was, I don't want to get too uh, depressing or uh, personal. Uh, when I was a very young kid, I uh, was in a, a violent home and I um, swore to myself like different kids uh, react to that kind of environment in very different ways, some very negative uh, ways. Luckily for me, for whatever reason, and it really is luck, uh, I react in a positive way. And I swore to myself when I would have been basically my son's age, eight, nine, 10 years old, uh, I will never punch anybody in my life. Uh, I will never be violent with somebody in my life. Never mind like my wife or anything that goes without saying. I have never been in a fight before. And some people hear that and they think they they use uh, a swear word or they they think that you're a weakling or that you're you're a scaredy cat and it's it's not that like I can I can handle myself. I've been in in situations before you you don't 
talk the way I talk uh, and not get into uh, situations. Uh, but my mantra is I'll never punch somebody. I'll never be violent uh, uh, with uh, somebody and that it would be the greatest failure for me as a person. Like it's, it would cause so much pain for me if I ever was in that uh, kind of situation that I can't imagine it. And what it's extended to is I, and I, I this, so that I've, I will always succeed at that. I have no worries about, but it's try to be decent to people. And it's the cheesiest, like weakest, decent to people, but there's so much negativity. So I, I, I fail at it so often, but I really, um, that's what I strive to each day. You know, the, the fifth mantra that I have is don't suck. Uh, that's a good can, one. Yeah, that's no, but that's uh, really be decent. You know, just, yeah, yeah. just, just, just don't that's suck, what I, guys. That's what I used to say to my, uh, debating partner since this is turned into a debating, uh, podcast. <laughs> Maybe more before, intensely than uh, how I'm before, saying it now. Before each time they'd go up to, uh, uh, speak, I would say, speak good. Uh, you know, <laughs> basically don't suck. There you go. Um, but I mean, I think we can all, uh, be happy that you, you have that, uh, I guess not mantra, but mentality or philosophy. Yeah. It's um, calling it a mantra. Maybe I, I screwed up. Do you want to retape that? Like, no, I yeah, I'll, I'll, see we, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> just, in the uh, editing just, room. Uh, just, just, just edit it around that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I think that's great, Rob. And, um, but yeah, that's, uh, we're past the hour, Mark. I'll let you go. I can't thank you enough for coming on here and really oh, no, uh, remind, fun. Remind everybody where they can find you and and where they can find uh, really the stuff that you're doing. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at uh, Rob Silver. I, I try not to talk too much Canadian politics these days, so most of it <laughs> will be intelligible for most uh, people. And uh, we're taking a little bit of a break uh, since since our uh, tremendous live uh, episode uh, in so Arizona. Uh, it was great having you on. Uh, so we're taking a, a few weeks off, but uh, but Van and Jeff and I will get going again. Uh, my guess is right after uh, U.S. Thanksgiving um, for for getting ready for 2022 awesome launch, we'll definitely give podcast. give rob silver the follow listen to the launch angle podcast but that's going to do for today's edition of nick pollock and friends my name is nick pollock and that was my friend rob silver